Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at the Score, and today's episode is presented by Head and Shoulders. Offense for great hair, defense against flakes. We are on to week two. I will admit I'm feeling pretty good today. The Fantasy Pros accuracy results came out for week one. I finished 11th out of 166 analysts. There's even more people in the contest this year, so that is a great start considering I wasn't sure how week one was going to play out because we didn't have that regular stream of off-season news this year. No OTAs, no rookie camps. We didn't get the preseason games, and I've talked before about how much I feel like I learned from those preseason games, so... I wasn't as confident as I normally would be going into a week one, but it turned out really well. Now we're looking to build on it for week two, and we got another great guest joining us today. I keep bringing on people who I think can help make you a better fantasy player, and Ian Harditz, he's near the top of that list in my mind. Let's put it this way. If I was building a ranking of the best fantasy analysts, he'd be in the top 10 for sure. So today he's going to help us take a look back at what we learned in week one and how we can apply that to the week two slate. Before we bring Ian in though, quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a rating, give us a review, and big thanks to the folks who have done that recently, like Monroster, Tor Foodie, Schmartel, and Master Judy. Appreciate all the kind words there. And if you like listening to this show, you should check out some of the other awesome shows on the Score Podcast Network, like Expand the Zone or Pound the Rock just to name a couple. All right, it's time to get Ian in here so we can talk some ball. He is Ian Harditz of Pro Football Focus. You can find all his content over there, like the matchup manifesto, like his wide receiver cornerback column, and lots, lots more, just chocked full of actionable information, as is his show, the PFF Fantasy Podcast. And you can find him on Twitter, at iHarditz. He's an excellent follow there, stats, jokes, the weekly helicopter drop, and maybe, just maybe, we'll see if we can get some clues on who might be in that helicopter this week. So, Ian, that was a very long intro. I talked far too much, but welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. It's great to uh, return the favor. Loved having you on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast earlier this offseason. And yeah, it's good to hear you had a good week one, man. Mine wasn't too bad. You know, it's just one of these things, though, where, you know, I feel like both of us are in the same boat where, you know, throughout the offseason, we're more or less giving our takes on almost every single player when it's all said and done. So, you know, by the time week one wraps up, inevitably, there's going to be, you know, handfuls of guys that we just missed on. And for some reason in my mind, you know, year after year, even though I've kind of told myself, like, okay, you know, we're going to have misses. It's okay. Learn, get better, move on. You know, I, I think my body is just in condition to it yet. So it's still got some of those gut punches where it's like, <laughs> God, how could I be so stupid? But now at least we have some snaps. We have some film. We have some stuff to move forward and make week two, hopefully even better than the first one. All right. Well, before we jump into week two here, I want to know what surprised you the most from week one? Because we waited so long to have those games and there were plenty of reveals, like you just said. So what surprised you the most? I think the Buccaneers, man, actually a positive way. Uh, you know, it might sound weird because they lost, but I wasn't really buying the Buccaneers hype this year. I just thought, you know, having a 43-year-old QB in a new system with, you know, a little bit of an unproven defense, it was just, I thought everyone was kind of priced towards their ceiling and fantasy, and I just thought people were kind of buying into TB12 hype a little too much, and, you know, okay, they lost, but I think that was more of an aspect of having to go into New Orleans and play uh, the team who's, in my opinion, the favorite to win the NFC, uh, New Orleans Saints, and 
And you just look at the game a little closer, though, and the Saints average the second fewest yards per play in the entire week, man. I mean, this Buccaneers defense is absolutely loaded suddenly. And I think everyone knew they had the pass rushers, uh, you know, Shaq Griffin. Uh, JPP and all those guys at the line of scrimmage are able to resign them this offseason. But, you know, they are just even scarier now that Levante David and maybe the second year leap uh, candidate Devin White are holding things down linebacker. And all of a sudden, the secondary isn't even a liability. I mean, the things Carlton Davis has done since kind of being uh, forced into shadow coverage uh, in the second half of last season, I mean, he's held Julio Jones under 80 yards twice, DeAndre Hopkins to fewer than 25 yards, Michael Thomas, the three catches, 17 yards. I mean, the dude is absolutely balling against some of the best receivers in the league. I mean, it wasn't long ago, literally this time last year when we were consistently targeting this defense in almost every way, shape, and form. Now I think they're almost a unit to borderline avoid. So we got that going for us. And then on offense, like, okay, it wasn't the best uh, start for TB12. We know that. But if you look a little bit closer in some of those passes he made, that arm is all there, man. This is not a 2014, you know, second half 2014 Peyton Manning or 2015 Peyton situation where Brady can't throw the deep ball anymore. It looked absolutely fantastic and, you know, didn't complete a bunch of them. Scotty Miller had a nice one late game, but two in particular that he drew a defensive pass interferences on deep balls to Mike Evans and Scotty Miller, where these things were just perfectly placed 40 plus yards downfield. I think we're going to see this Buccaneers offense in week two against the Panthers really show everyone that they belong at the top of the NFC. I agree with you there. And I wonder on the other side of the field in that game, Drew Brees, to me, didn't look as good. And the Bucs, obviously, that defense, like you talked about, that's part of it. But I don't know that Brees has the same arm strength. And he was never the, the huge armed guy. But I don't know that he has that same arm strength. And I know it's a small sample size, but like Brees averaging 5.3 yards per attempt, which is like over two, over two and a half yards, I think below his like career and below really each of the last few seasons that he's had, that's kind of scary to me. And then you add into the fact now that Michael Thomas is hurt. He's dealing with that high ankle sprain. It seems like the team's being pretty smart. They're shutting him down for a few weeks. And that's what I want to hear. I own Thomas in places. I want him to just be shut down. Don't bring him back until he is a hundred percent. Cause we've seen these high ankle sprains impact the efficiency of a bunch of players recently, even his teammate last year, Alvin Kamara. And maybe that's what helped. It's just one of the things like Thomas is a fantastic receiver, of course, but maybe that's one of the things that helped him reach that monster target total last year was having Kamara a little banged up in the second half of the season. Now it seems like it's going to go the other way here where Kamara is going to be one of the beneficiaries of Thomas being out. I'm curious, how do you see that target distribution working out for the Saints over the next few weeks here with Thomas not in the lineup, not just for Kamara, but for everybody there? I think Jared Cook could actually be the biggest beneficiary here. I mean, the guy's already been a consistent fantasy tight end one ever since Breeze uh, returned from that uh, thumb injury or whatever it was last season. And you look at the week one usage, and it's, it, it would make sense if he takes a bigger step forward going to week two. I mean, 21 reps in the slot or out wide, only 23 snaps in line. So they're already using him as a borderline wide receiver as it is. And yeah, like you said, man, the league's single biggest target hog from last season is now out. So plenty of opportunity. I, I agree that Alvin Kamara is going to take a step up of sorts, but somewhat among Cook, Sanders, and Traquan, you know, kind of, I think, needs to assume that 1B role behind Kamara. I think Cook has 
has the best chance to do so. Manny Sanders is fine too, but I'm not going to just go off and buy Traquan Smith and assume that this guy is going to you know, take a leap now that Michael Thomas is in there. He's had only 50 receiving yards in three of his 30 career games despite playing 60% of the snaps in 22 of those games. The guy's already been on the field all the time. It's not like he hasn't had the chance to get open, hasn't had the chance to get the targets. He just hasn't done so. So I'm pretty out on the Traquan Smith hype. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, is already owned in most leagues. But yeah, you can confidently start him, I think, as a you know upside wide receiver three uh, in this spot. But more than anything, I think it's Jared Cook. I mean, this dude could legit be a top five tight end, I think, for as long as Michael Thomas remains sideline. Yeah, I think I moved him up to tight end six right now in my early rankings for this week. And it's kind of interesting because we might not get a real feeling for what the Saints offense is going to look like without Thomas just based on some of these matchups they have coming up, right? They get some really, really easy matchups here with the Raiders this week. They're probably going to be able to run the ball quite a bit there, get Latavius Murray more involved. That's not the toughest matchup. And to be honest, I mean, Green Bay, they could give him a challenge in week three, but they just gave up a, a decent day to Kirk Cousins. He completed 76% of his passes, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, against them there and then the Lions in week four they just gave up that three touchdown game to Trubisky so the Saints should be okay without Thomas I mean from a a real life winning standpoint I think they're going to be all right they're going to be able to get through this next month without him Um, let's talk about some of these defenses though some of these matchups like the the Raiders and the Lions that I just said I know it's early but are there any defenses right now after one week and what you were thinking heading into the season Are there any defenses out there that you've already identified as units that you want to attack or units that maybe you want to avoid in fantasy? And I mean, the obvious example that comes up for me would be the Steelers Rundy after what they just did to to Saquon in the Monday Nighter right on the ground, 15 carries for six yards. That is just unbelievable. So everybody should keep that in mind for Melvin Gordon this week. He's got to go up against them. But are there any defenses that you're attacking or that you're trying to sit guys against after week one. Yeah, I, mean, I would even extend the Steelers defense just to as a whole. I mean, credit to Daniel Jones for that strike he threw on that deep post to Slayton for the score. But I mean, you look at that secondary, there's really just not a weak link uh, nearly across that entire defense. So if it's if it's between two players and one of them is playing the Steelers, I mean, probably just take the other guy uh, in general. But kind of the I guess the thing I live by with defense selection is that we, we're much better at predicting pat, bad pass defenses than bad rush defenses. I think sometimes we just look at the numbers and we see these examples. Like I'm just looking at the DVOA rankings from week one and you see the Patriots are third in pass and 15th in rush. The Chargers are fifth in pass and 19th in rush. Both of them are top six overall defenses. It's just we live in the, the year 2020 when the offense, when the NFL is a passing league. Obviously, your defense should be prioritizing stopping the pass, but that's not the case. So we have defenses like the Jets who are, okay, they're second in rush DVOA, but 26 in pass DOA. And you see these teams that you know are quote-unquote good against the run, and they're usually a bad overall defense because why are you selling out against the run in the year 2020, <laughs> as I'm saying? So I think anytime you can really uh, uh, target that bad secondary, a team that you know even though they should be doing everything they can to stop the pass they just can't do it those are the matchups i'm looking for because sometimes i think we you know uh we misdiagnose a good matchup for a running back as okay he's actually facing a pretty good defense they've just been more willing to allow rb production than you know deep production down the field because what you know right-minded person wouldn't gladly make that trade-off so <laughs> i think some really bad secondaries though that uh we, we can you know feel confident firing up uh some just passing stacks against this year the falcons uh the colts 
you know, tried to bring Xavier Rhodes in from Minnesota, but anytime you're giving up 19 of 20 completions to anybody, let alone uh, Gardner Minshew, that's that's a problem. The Panthers, I mean, losing James Bradbury hurts. Uh, you know, I know we talked about this Tampa Bay game, but they just don't have anyone to cover Mike Evans at this point. I think just in general, it's going to be a rough go for them. Uh, the Vikings, you know, yeah, it turns out when you're already pretty bad at corner and all your starting cornerbacks leave, the backups aren't much better. And then finally, uh, the Raiders, I think, are just still uh, looking for pretty much any any sort of uh, difference makers on defenses so again you know focus more on just you know the good versus bad pass defenses i think we have a better feel for that and we can apply that better to matchups than you know perceived uh shoddy run defenses yeah and you bring up the vikings there i mean not to i don't want to discount what rogers did in that game but i think everybody has to remember because people look at the vikings defense from years past and think they're one of the best units in the league but having lost all the guys they did really completely rebuilding in that secondary, it kind of helped the Packers, I think, in week one. I don't know. Personally, I don't know that we're going to see that kind of game from the Packers. Everybody wants to buy into the narrative of Aaron Rodgers is on fire and he's angry about the Jordan Love pick and he's just coming for that MVP this year. Yeah, maybe it's possible. I mean, to start off with 364 yards and four touchdowns, that is a great start if you're looking to win the MVP, but I'm still trying to figure out how much of that was that Viking secondary and how much of it was Rodgers trying to, you know, dial up that throwback performance. We'll keep moving along here, though. I mean, there's so much that I could ask you about. Uh, what about the 49ers? Does that Mohamed Sanu signing, does that move the needle at all for you? I mean, that's a receiving core that definitely needs some help with Debo Samuel Hurt, with Brandon Ayuk Hurt, with George Kittle now banged up. We don't know what's going to happen with him, whether he's going to be able to play this week. Is Sanu interesting at all for you in fantasy? Man, I didn't even realize that he was now on the 49ers until I was prepping for the show and <laughs> reading the show sheet. So, you know, short, short answer, no, he's not really moving the needle for me. But it is a situation where, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in a matchup where the Jets, you know, going into this season had PFF single worst ranked secondary. And we saw in week one how they actually did a really good job against the Bills, uh, you know, just stopping the run game. And, you know, again, mentioned before, like we don't, like good run defense, quote unquote, good run defenses are usually the sign of a bad overall defense, or at least they can be. I think that's what we're looking at in the Jets, but they might just be selling out enough against the run to kind of stop Moster and Coleman, which means Jimmy G is set up all right. But I just don't know who out of these guys to try to pick from. I mean, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor are the best start throws in terms of just being on the field. But I honestly, like, it wouldn't shock me if these tight ends, even without Kittle, you know, Jordan Reed, Ross Dwelly, or, uh, you know, McKinnon and Moster in the run game. I think these the tight ends and running backs are probably going to end up with more targets than the wide receivers. It's such a great matchup through the air. I wish we had some more clarity with, you know, any of these guys. But, you know, when Jimmy G finishes week one, just every single person has five targets. It's tough to, you know, feel too good about any of their fantasy upside moving forward. Well, and it's weird when a guy like Sanu gets released by a team like the Patriots, who really seem like they could use some wide receiver help. It makes it tough to trust him even when he goes to another offense where he knows this system already. He knows Kyle Shanahan's offense and he's going to a team that needs help at receiver again, but he just got let go by a team that needed help at receiver. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Belichick isn't always right about these players that he lets leave New England, but more often than not, it seems like he makes the right call. And early in the fantasy season, managers have to do that same thing. You got to make the call on whether to stick with some of these guys whether to outright drop them. It might be the most important time to like honestly assess your roster and be willing to let some of these guys go who aren't performing or who aren't giving us any reason to think they're going to turn it around. 
who are some of those guys for you? Because, I mean, you had to put in waiver claims this week just like everybody else. Who did you already feel confident dropping after week one? Or, I mean, if your lineups are already golden, who are some <laughs> of the players who you think are okay to let go at this point? Yeah, just some uh, back-end guys I think are probably owned in a lot of leagues, but I think are now safe to, uh, you know, just send them off the free agency and don't think twice. Uh, Sony Michelle, you know, the Damian Harris injury kind of threw a wrench into things. We thought, okay, maybe we could be looking at another uh, 20 rush situation, but you know, snap split directly down the middle, 30% each. When Rex Burkhead is healthy, it just more or less cancels out uh, both Sony and James White. And then now having Cam Newton just being the goal line vulture and soaking up uh, pretty much the majority of the team's rushing share as it is. I don't think we're going to see, you know, the usual uh, LeGarrette Blunt-esque, you know, early down grinder in New England doing much this year so i wouldn't worry about michelle and you know to a lesser extent harris as well uh chris thompson you know i it, i didn't really expect him to have a huge role but in a game that you know surprisingly had more uh positive game script for the jaguars and i think we'll see moving forward like we can't have two targets and zero carries as our floor that's just not going to work again didn't expect a massive role for chris thompson but wouldn't have been shocking if we did have a you know a decent four to five targets per week possibility not looking that way uh christian kirk i'm willing to part ways with after not even recording a catch, he got some air yards. I mean, he's going to have uh, better weeks, but to me, the only kind of appeal with him as the number two, maybe number three option in that passing game was the potential for Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury to keep spreading things out. But after one week, I think it's pretty clear to see this is DeAndre Hopkins passing game. I think he's going to be the overwhelming wide receiver one. I'd be very surprised if either Kirk or Fitzgerald finish among fantasy's top 50 receivers by the end of the season. And then finally, Randall Cobb, who was someone I was taking a lot of uh, sh shots on late in drafts. When the guy gets 18, 19 million guarantee, whatever it was, you would think they try to get him the ball some more, particularly in game one with Brandon Cooks, you know, playing limited snaps and being beat up. So, you know, just with Cobb completely ghosting until late in the second half, I think it's a situation where we want Fuller, maybe Cooks. And honestly, I'd rather take Jordan Akins at this point over Cobb, just in terms of, uh, you know, looking for parts of that Texans offense that can give us uh, some, some of Deshaun Watson's production. So, you know, again, doesn't make sense with that contract. I thought Cobb was maybe a sneaky leader, lead the team and targets and maybe the Fuller and Cooks injuries come and then he's forced to lead the way but you know it's it's such a small role right now that you, you don't need to worry about a roster spot I agree with you on those I'm curious if you're going to agree with me on this one though that I'm going to throw out there what about Gronk because what you said earlier about that offense and you know I know the matchups better this week it wasn't a great performance by them and against a very very difficult defense but Gronk only had two catches for 11 yards and it wasn't due to lack of playing time. There were some reports before the game that maybe he would be third in playing time among the tight ends there. He wasn't. He played 54 snaps. Now, you guys do a really good job, though, at PFF of breaking it down and exactly where those snaps came from. And he lined up in line for 53 of those 54. You compare that to like OJ Howard, who played 37 offensive snaps. He saw 11 in the slot. He saw three outside. Howard had four catches, 36 yards and a touchdown. Maybe it's going to take Gronk some time to take the knock the rust off here. You know, maybe in the better matchup, he's going to come through. We know he has the touchdown upside, but there's also the possibility that the Bucks aren't going to ask him to be the kind of playmaker that he was in New England because they have all these other weapons and all these other younger weapons as well. When you're talking about, you know, OJ Howard at the tight end or even the receivers you can comment on that. I mean, I'm curious to see what you think based on what you were saying about the Bucks earlier. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, a tough matchup. I mean, adding uh, Malcolm Jenkins up the middle is going to make the Saints a uh, tight defense that you, we're going to want to start tight ends against with extreme caution. But I'm going to wait a week on Gronk. I mean, it is kind of funny how we've made this mistake seemingly twice in two years. I, I know Gronk wasn't exactly you know flying off the boards in fantasy drafts, but back-to-back years where we've been like, well, Bruce Arians never really has a tight end, but in 2019, he's never had a tight end quite like O.J. Howard, and then 2020 never <laughs> had a tight end quite like Rob Gronkowski. So... You know, I think the more uh, likely scenario is that none of, you know, Howard or Gronk are really going to flirt with tight end one production this season. But I'm going to give this offense another week and a much cushier matchup before making any uh, decisions too big. I mean, Scotty Miller's a guy that, you know, could also potentially have some uh, upside if uh, if we see things click against the Panthers. I, I've, I've had Gronk in a decent amount of drafts because I was just taking him when he really fell uh, for that potential upside. You know, just he has a chance to lead the Buccaneers in touchdown catches. Still does. Um, but, you know, not looking great. But the 76% or whatever it was, exact snap rate, I was surprised with that. So at least he is out there on the field. This was a down week. But let's, let's see a couple down weeks in a row before we cut ties, you know, with the greatest tight end the game's ever seen. And for the record, I agree with you that I think that that offense as a whole is going to look much, much better in this matchup this week. I don't think we should rag on them too much <laughs> for going up against the Saints and, and getting beaten down. Uh, we talked about Brady. You really broke it down earlier. I want to touch on Cam real quick, though. What was your takeaway from that first start for him in New England? Because, you know, they went up against the Dolphins and they were at home. Now he's going cross country. He's going to take on the Seahawks. Is he going to be able to to cook with Russ here against the Seahawks? Oh, I so the cooking is going to be a little bit different in New England this year. I mean, this was easily the slowest paced <laughs> offense uh, last week. It's it's going through Cam. They are just fully unleashing Cam as uh, you know his as they should. He's one of the greatest you know dual threat quarterbacks the game's ever seen, and they are not shying away from that at all. And we were sitting here this time last week wondering if the Patriots were going to run Cam, and the answer is a resounding absolutely. I mean, fifteen carries, seventy five yards, two scores, more than sixty of those yards were on design runs. I mean, this was not an accident of being. Know Cam just getting loose on some scrambles or something. I mean, this was their game plan, and you know it's okay. I don't think he's gonna have 15 rushes every single week, but even his arm looked awesome, man. I mean, completing 15 of 19 passes with a drop or two in between, arm velocity looked fantastic. I mean, that's not an easy Miami secondary to be thrown against. Now that they've added uh, Byron Jones and devoted some more draft capital uh, to their secondary, so you know it wasn't the easiest matchup for him. Definitely could have been a spot to see him trip up first game in the offense, first game with the new team, and he really passed with flying colors so fantasy wise we gotta get used to uh, treating cam as a top eight option i have him as my qb6 this week but i I don't know if he's gonna have you know these high-end passing performances like julian edelman uh you know was kind of wondering if he could maybe flirt with that uh borderline wide receiver one production if he was going to go ahead and get the 150 plus targets uh he had last season but looking at his usage in week one how they actually are using harry and uh even demir bird and two wide receiver sets and kind of bringing edelman in when they want to throw the ball out of three wide receiver looks i just question whether edelman's gonna you know be able to get more than kind of seven eight targets per week so i think that'll kind of depress his ceiling and floor but you know otherwise it's the cam newton show i hope everyone gets their popcorn ready it's gonna be a fun one on sunday night well, and you figure that the Patriots defense will be able to keep this game a little lower scoring than maybe that game was between the Falcons and the Seahawks. So maybe Cam will be able to continue to play that that sort of style and not have to try to air it out to keep up with Seattle. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this one. We ask it every preview show. We finish off with this. Which players are being overlooked in week two? 
Yeah, so I think some good situations, particularly on DraftKings, uh, to avoid some chalk. A lot of cheap RBs this week with some injuries, you know, popping up after the pricing was already out. So, you know, I'm seeing Jonathan Taylor at 5,700. He's going to be super popular. Uh, just people waiting for that breakout to come. But I think if you want to fade that chalk, it's a little bit risky. I mean, Taylor deserves to be kind of on that, white, uh, that right, RB1 borderline, excuse me, but it is a little bit unclear if it's truly going to be a Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines split. I mean, you look at some of the usage last year and, you know, Marlon Mack, he usually split early down work with either Jordan Wilkins or even Jonathan Williams towards the end of the year. I think Taylor's going to be that guy, but I'm just saying, you know, if you really want to roster this running back in tournaments, it's going to have 20, 30% ownership. You know, I kind of rather be a little more sure thing uh, of his overall snaps. So I think going up to David Johnson, tough matchup, you know, versus the Ravens, but he is at home and without Duke there, this dude literally might not leave the field all game or, uh, you know, looking at Kenyon Drake, who people were weirdly disappointed with Drake, but I mean, the guy played 69% of the snaps had, you know, scored, had over 15 carries. He, he, okay. He didn't have, you know, many huge plays, but still a pretty good performance. And, you know, if he's going to be coming in super under owned against Washington, who, Hey, credit their D line. Absolutely. But, you know, this is still one of the better rushing offenses in the league. I think they can get it done against almost anyone. So, Pivoting the Drake or uh, David Johnson off Taylor, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, just a few other guys real quick. Sterling Shepard, if Golden Tate stays out, I think he could have a big week. You know, hey, it was Slayton, uh, Slayton season week one, good on him. But just every report out of training camp was that Shepard uh, is number one guy. And he has that slot all to himself as long as Golden Tate stays sidelined. Last year, Shepard was the sixth most sensitive wide receiver in yards per out run in the slot versus outside. He's not quite like one of these, you know, Chris Goblin, Adam Thielen types where you can put him wherever and they're going to ball out a little more sensitive to stuff like that so if uh, Tate does get over his hamstring injury I'll probably have a little less exposure to Shepard but I think he can win this matchup in Chicago in a big way and then uh, finally I think Paris Campbell is another guy people should be looking to scoop up played well out of the slot was right there with T.Y. Hilton atop the uh, Colts target leaderboard you know the kind of question with Campbell was okay is he going to be this actual wide receiver in the offense or is he going to be more of a gadget guy they got to design touches for like is he just a bigger Tariq Cohen or is he an actual wide receiver and I think the answer is the latter which is great to see I mean he is getting help out of the slot he's not running the most nuanced routes or anything but hey with that kind of speed going across the field it's a handful for anyone to deal with and we saw him make a couple tough catches in week one do some good things uh getting the rush attempt as well so you know if I don't know if the Colts are going to be this pass happy moving forward but if they do keep throwing the ball you know much more than we saw last season Campbell could legit flirt with wide receiver two production the rest of the way well, and that goes back to the matchup with the Vikings pass defense, right? I think T.Y. Hilton's probably somebody that, you know, had more of a quiet week one and got kind of, you know, overshadowed by Campbell in a lot of ways in that first game in a lot of categories. I think Hilton's somebody that people aren't going to pay as much attention to. But yeah, great matchup for him. Great matchup for both those guys. Uh, I would also throw DeAndre Swift in here. And I know this is probably a little early and this one's probably more for just the rest of the season here. But Peterson had that big game. But if Swift had caught that potential game-winning touchdown, there was six seconds left, and he dropped it, and it was bad. It was a very, very bad drop. It cost him the game. If he had caught that, though, the public perception of him would be a lot different right now because he played on 43, almost 44% of the snaps in that game. He saw five targets. This is the guy that they want to get in there. He did score one touchdown. He didn't get the second one, but he did score one touchdown. And we got to remember, he's a rookie that missed time in camp with injuries, so he's behind that learning curve a little bit. Had he not gotten hurt, maybe Adrian Peterson wouldn't even be with the Lions right now. That's possible, right? Like, so 
I think he's the future there. I think he's a guy that they're going to continue to get him more work. They are not just going to continue to rely on Adrian Peterson. So I expect the role to grow for Swift and to grow pretty quickly, in my opinion. I don't think this is one we're going to have to wait until later in the season. I think he's going to have that 50-50 split and maybe even get the majority of the work there sooner rather than later. Um, and T.Y. and Nikhil Harry, you want to go back to the... Uh, the Patriots just a little bit. I mean, he's way, way down there and he had that dumb fumble. And again, everybody's going to get on him for that, but he showed some improvement and the Patriots, they don't have any choice. They have to give him targets and hope that he emerges. And maybe that game will be a little more high scoring, depending what happens there. But if Russ is able to cook, maybe they will have to throw a little more. So we'll see. I still have some high hopes for Harry, not that he's going to become an elite receiver, but he could become a fantasy contributor, a wide receiver three, a guy that scores some touchdowns there. He almost had the one last week. So he's somebody that's on my radar. I was really hoping you were going to say that DeAndre Swift's role has a chance to grow swiftly, but you know, next time. <laughs> nice. Well, that is all for today's show. Make sure you're checking out all of Ian's content over at PFF and the PFF Fantasy Podcast as well. Give him a follow on Twitter, like I said off the top, at iHeartIt's. This is the second year that we've gotten you in here during the season, and I know that is not an easy thing to make happen, especially early in the year with everybody's busy schedule. So I appreciate you carving out some time for us, man. Yeah, bro. Thanks for having me. Always a good time to talk. We'll definitely make sure to get you on the PFF Fantasy Pod uh, later this season. But yeah, I hope everyone, else, hope everyone out there enjoyed the show, and you know, happy week two to everyone. Let's go make some money. Sounds good. Before we sign off, just a reminder, my week two rankings are live on the score. My trade value chart is going up Wednesday night. Start, sit, stash, quit lands on Friday. And I'll be back Friday live for our weekly video chat at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll be answering all your questions. But until then, big thanks again to Ian. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me